episode one is uh, titled Second Contact. Mm-hmm. Well, dude, we still want to talk about the uh, uh, overview of oh, how yeah, we feel yeah. about the series. We sure. We can edit that part out. <laughs> or I'll leave it, it in. There you go. That's a sound so that we can see it on the seat. Really like that. Like that. Okay, you can't I'm really annoying you the, uh, while you're editing this, so I'm annoying you now and in the future. Okay, I'm just going to leave that in. in the, if you didn't add in the snaps, that'd be a great intro. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just like cold intro that, put it at the front, and then be like snapping. Welcome to Unqualified Authorities, where none of us are experts, but we certainly think we are. Today's topic, Star Trek Lower Decks. Hooray! I guess we should probably introduce ourselves. My name's Austin. I don't know that much about Star Trek. I'm Chris. I know a little bit about Star Trek and nothing else. <laughs> uh, I'm John. Uh, I don't know much about Star Trek, and most of what I know about Star Trek comes from Chris. I'm Joe, and I'm half Trekkie on my mother's side. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Joe. So yeah, today we are going to talk about um, Star Trek Lower Decks. To kind of encapsulate what it is, Star Trek Lower Decks is an American adult animated television series created by Mike Mahan for the streaming service CBS All Access. It is the ninth in a series of Star Trek franchise and was launched in 2020 as part of an executive producer Alex Kurtzman's expansion of the franchise. Lower Decks is the first animated series created for All Access and the first animated Star Trek series since the 1973-74 series Star Trek, the animated series, which we're not going to ever talk about. It follows the support crew of the USS Cerritos in the year 2380. More specifically, after Star Trek Nemesis, per the wiki. And I believe it's not in the Kelvin timeline, correct? Prime Universe, that's, uh, that Prime is universe. correct. I like the Kelvin timeline. Uh, yeah, the, and that's why you know the least about the show. That's fair. It, it, Joe is not wrong. No, yeah. All right. Um, so over overall, um, I think we should probably start with the most, uh, the two for the the two most uh, Star Trekky opinions first, and then go with me and John who have the least Star Trek experience. So Chris, do you want to start? Just an overview, like your thoughts of the whole series. Overall thoughts is uh, this is an interesting take on Star Trek. Uh, very reminiscent of other sci-fi shows. Um, I'd say overall it was pretty good. It had its moments. It had uh, some callbacks to old Star Treks. I, I agree. I, I actually like this being a next generation kid. Uh, it fits right in with DS9, Voyager, next generation, the first couple of movies, and just feels very at home with that. Unlike uh, some of the later examples, like the Kelvin Timeline or Discovery, which kind of went too far in advance of technology. It started looking more futuristic than the previous setting that it was supposed to be in. Um, I like the humor in it. I like the satirical take on it. But I feel like sometimes it got a little too meta. Too many name drops of characters that really shouldn't have been in there. But uh, So just having the basic idea of Star Trek and its series and stuff like that, I found Lower Decks to be a fantastic series just due to the fact that it's dropping things that I'm only remotely familiar with, like Q and the, the Enterprises and all this stuff. And so it all seems to work out really well with each other. And the fact that, uh, as I was talking with somebody earlier about this, that it's presenting the whole idea of 
it's not everything is super idyllic and just idealized, which is what everybody complains about why this isn't Star Trek. Uh, sure. No, I, I agree with that. Being another person who's just very remotely familiar with Star Trek as a whole and mostly familiar with like the Kelvin Timeline movies, which I think are fine, um, so, so sue me. With, with it being animated and it being an adult cartoon, I've always been a fan of cartoons that were um, not just for children, but for adults. Um, and I think, I don't know the specifics, but I think it's animated by some of the same people that did Rick and Morty, right? Correct. Mike Mahan. Yep. Yeah. And the um, same animation studio. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was fun seeing like a little bit of that in it. But as a whole, I thought it was really funny. I thought the story... Even though it was a cartoon, it kind of had it had heart. Like you really felt for some of the characters. Uh, some of them were stupid and obnoxious, but I feel yeah. like that's just Star Trek as a whole. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought it was really fun and having really no idea what the hell was going on, like in terms of the name drops and stuff. I I, I felt like the name drops felt a little pushy because like I knew the names, but I only knew the names. I didn't know the characters. Um, as as like a kind of cursory fan, it was a little much. Um, so overall, it sounds like everyone's pretty good with the series. Uh, we don't have anyone that's like, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, there's no, uh, Neelix, uh, <laughs> there's, there's no Tuvix. Tuvix, that's the name. Yeah. Tupac? What? It's, it's something you wouldn't be familiar it, with. It's a Voyager reference. Ah, okay. I get It's that. where you take two characters and they become one. I can't wait till I can Thank be you, that guy. Thank you, transporter accidents. I can be that guy where I'm like, I understood that reference. I doubt that'll it, happen. It probably won't. It's not that great. Well, I mean, I don't. I probably won't watch it. I I kind of think that this, uh, having watched all of basically Star Trek, including Lower Decks and Discovery, um, it seems this, as John mentioned, kind of a darker, a little bit more dystopian esque type oh. Star Trek is kind of the new kind of general direction. Yeah, I don't think it's quite dystopian, yeah. Chris. It's just a side of Star Trek that isn't that idyllic. Everybody is happy. There's no need for money. Just all of this stuff that everybody always says is the big part of Star Trek and Starfleet. Just everybody's happy all the time. Well, that's See, not... There's no way like everybody a, can be happy. It's like an optimistic nihilism. Yeah. This is kind of... This might be very good to transition into the first episode because uh, the first episode named Second Contact uh, very well points that out being that you have a crew that had their old job is to go around and remake contact with people that's already been contacted it's not the bright flashy stuff it's the dull point in between and we see the bureaucracy of it which I think which I think helps really drive home the uh, reality of it and not so idyllic yeah, I, I agree. You want to read the oh, uh, yeah. synopsis? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, Second Contact. Um, Ensign Devana Tendi arrives on the USS Cerritos and is given a tour by the Ensign's Brad Boimler and Beckett Mariner. Ensign. Ensign. Whatever. Ensign. Okay. Ensign. Okay. Is... Let's, uh, let's have somebody else read that then. Ensign. Devon Attendee, fuck you, uh, arrives on the USS Cerritos and is given a tour by Ensign's Brad Boimler and Beckett Mariner. 
Boimler is asked by Captain Carol Freeman to report on any breaches of protocol made by Mariner. On a mission, Boimler catches Mariner giving equipment to local farmers. The pair are attacked by a farm animal, which destroys Boimler's uniform and covers him in slime. Meanwhile, Commander Jack Ransom unknowingly carries an alien virus from the planet's surface to the Cerritos, and, is quickly, and it quickly infects much of the crew. Uh, Ensign Sam Rutherford is on a date with Ensign Barnes, and they, they fight off infected crew members, but Rutherford loses interest because Barnes is not interested in the Cerritos' mechanics. Chief Medical Officer Ta'ana uses the slime on Boimler to synthesize an antidote, receiving praise from Freeman. Boimler chooses not to report Mariner to the chagrin of Freeman, who is Mariner's mother. Spoiler alert. Should probably lead with that. Yeah, yeah. And was looking for a reason to have her removed from the ship. Mariner thanks Boimler and decides to mentor him towards becoming a captain. Um, so from my understanding, a pretty kind of basic plot of a Star Trek episode where something inevitably goes wrong when they go down to the planet and the problems come back to the ship. However, I gotta say, the history of Star Trek and bringing back foreign diseases has never been lazier than this zombie infection. I mean, there was even the spores that, you know, drove everyone wacky and we at least got to see George Takei chasing people around with a freaking uh, rapier, which was hilarious. Or fencing foil, sorry. Uh, yes, I totally remember that. <laughs> Sorry, this is this is more advanced reference than casual listener. Uh, but the zombie thing felt kind of played out to me, especially in our day and age. Uh, there's been so many movies and TV shows that have done some sort of zombie episode, not to mention the popularity of The Walking Dead. So yeah. for Star Trek to hit that note, it kind of fell flat for me. It's kind of a classic Star Trek trope of... Something happens, someone brings Pathogen back to the ship. It's a season one thing for, I think, almost every uh, series. Did Discovery do it? Probably. Oh, that's the only other one I've seen. But, I mean, you look at Next Generation. Their pathogen that has affected the whole crew turned people into animals and spiders and creepy stuff. So I feel like the, the bar was set a little bit higher than zombies that puke black goo. Uh, season one was the drunk virus. Yeah? Where we get to see infamous uh, engineering officer pull all the chips out of the computer and stack them like Jenga blocks. That is true. See, I feel, though, that because it's such a bland and played out idea of just the zombie infection, it works great as a fantastic backdrop to this whole idea of Rutherford going on a date. And this whole thing is happening behind him. Which we're not caring about that. We're caring about what's going on with him and his situation and how they just seem to be having this immaculate bonding time until the very end of it kind of plays out. I mean, the the show is intended to be kind of a parody on over overdone things. Exactly. Uh, both in and out of Star Trek, I think. So I think it works. I think it was funny. Um, it was disgusting, which is not... I don't, I don't know if that's a normal Star Trek thing, but... Sometimes. Sorry, that was probably a little high pitch for a, for a <laughs> just, podcast. Yes, sometimes it can be disgusting. It's kind of the trope. I, I do got to say, bit. though, we did get uh, our first instance, uh, especially for your favorite character in the show, of Shax, with his first quoting of uh, permission to detonate their warp core. Shax is the brightest 
spot of on this diamond, in my opinion. Yeah, he's all right. He's great. <laughs> he's fine. Jax is good. I like Jax. I like I liked Bradward. He's a very uh, traditional Starfleet security officer. He is following in the footsteps of Worf, of course. You know, he is Worf on, you know, maximum setting. He is not on stun. He is on lethal all the time. I, he sure is. I do want to add, uh, just kind of rewinding back with this stuff a little bit, just the opening sequence for this show, just every time I watch the episode, I can't help but watch it just because it's just some of the stupidest stuff you'll ever <laughs> see happen to a ship. Especially just the whole, they arrive to the, the battle against the board cubes, <clears throat> get shot once, and are just, nah, I'm, I'm out, and just leave. That, or the the creature just like suckling on their uh, yeah. their warp drive. Warp missiles? Nacelles. Sure, yeah, whatever. I'm going to just call it warp drive. I don't give a fuck. So, I, I have to agree with John. I grew up with the shows, and I, I've always loved that intro. Like, Next Generation, uh, DS9, Voyager, that slow, beautiful intro. I can't bring myself to skip it even now on uh, Netflix. But, like, Enterprise, um, Discovery, I don't care for those. This is the only one where I found myself back again going, I got to watch this every episode. The, the opening crawl. I'm, I was kind of the same way with, um, it, it isn't, it doesn't change from episode to episode, does it? No. Okay. So I, I wound up skipping it cause it was just, it was fine, but I, I understand where you're coming from. Cause I did that with like Game of Thrones. I would never skip the opening cinematic for Game of Thrones. So I just, it, just, it invokes that, uh, uh, what's nostalgic. the word? Nostalgic value every time I watch it. See, and I mean that, that I don't. I don't know, didn't do it for me. I, I can still remember what it was like being, you know, eight or nine and watching that on the TV. Like the first time we got a big screen TV that wasn't in black and white, because <laughs> my family was poor, and we got that and watching that pan through different planets and everything else. It just brings back that feeling every time. Yep, that's probably one of my earliest memories of uh, Star Trek. I started with TNG. My parents were a big fan of it, so just that whole opening. Of uh, Patrick Stewart giving his mo- monologue, you know, this is uh, these are the voyages, whatever, blah 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 blah, and it panning through our solar system. Uh, that's uh, it's still hair raising to me. You can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just the, the the cold open before the actual title sequence, where it's just going through uh, Mariner, just absolutely nonstop communication, just berating Boimler about. Every little thing, like five logs, that's excessive. Of course, it's excessive, but it's absolutely hilarious. Just listen to her comparison to everything, swinging the bat at him, and just I even think, taking a um, chunk out of his leg. Uh, the captain Freeman, right? Freeman. Yeah, she even was like, "That's too many logs. That's ridiculous." Um, everybody was kind of on board with that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I, I will make this observation now, and it gets better towards the end of the series, but it's very heavy in episode one. The relationship between Boimler and Mariner is very reminiscent of the uh, the relationship between Rick and Jerry from Rick and Morty. Um, I wouldn't say that. It, it to me it plays out that exact way. Everything. But Rick hates Jerry. It, it seems that way as well. I feel like Mariner parts. like likes him, more... is annoyed by his professionalism, and then decides to be his friend at the end of that first episode. I feel it's more less Rick to Jerry, more Rick to Morty. So while they begrudgingly have their issues with each other, 
they still know how to deal with each other at a level that works. And because they're so separate, it works together. Do we want to move on to the second episode? Uh, oh, before we finish, I just want to, to cap this episode bit uh-huh. off with the end of the episode. <clears throat> something you're going to love, Austin. The uh, casual mention of casual cannibalism. Yeah, he specifically asked how many people did he eat, and he's like, "Oh, not that many. Don't worry about it." <laughs> and uh, just ended the episode. That's did the I eat uh, flesh. Executive yeah. officer. How much flesh? It doesn't uh, matter. Ransom. Ransom. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Oh, what's his What's his full name? Uh, Jack Ransom. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Got it right there. Commander. Commander, Commander Jack Ransom. Uh, who is started off as kind of like an annoying character. And then uh, still was an annoying character. So <laughs> he is very much the stand-in. This one for uh, Kirk or Riker. Yeah, Riker definitely. It's like if you took Kirk and Riker and you mixed them together to make another person. It's like a sexy Kirk because Kirk mean, was never sexy. They do make that yeah. reference in yeah. the later episode that he's basically just a knockoff wannabe Kirk. Oh, a Kirk trope. I didn't. I didn't hear that. I can't remember um, which episode. I'll address that in uh, the. Uh, the crystal episode yeah. but he, he specifically calls out like kirk overhead slash or two-handed punch and stuff like that right yeah he does the classic interlocked fingers and uh axe handle type attacks all right um let's move on to episode two envoys uh boimler is assigned to a mission to transport a klingon general Kaorin. i don't even care Kaorin. sure Corin. Corin? Too many apostrophes in their language. Uh, to the Federation Embassy on Tolgana 4. Mariner has herself assigned to the same mission, revealing that she is old friends with Corin. The pair drink and reminisce while Boimler flies them to the planet. After they land, a drunken Corin steals the shuttlecraft. While tracking down Corin, Boimler feels he is unprepared for field work compared to Mariner and threatens to quit Starfleet. They are offered assistance from a Ferengi whom Mariner believes is trustworthy, but Boimler ca- is cautious against this, and it is proven correct when the Ferengi pulls a knife on them. Boimler scares the Ferengi away. The pair find Corinne and leave him at the embassy before returning to the Cerritos. Boimler teases Mariner about the Ferengi, unaware that Mariner has staged the incident. Meanwhile, Rutherford transfers from engineering to the other division- divisions, hoping to have more time to spend with Tendi. He decides that engineering is where he wants to be, and she chooses to spend time with him well, he works. I'm going to start with the Rutherford thing, I think. Um, that was freaking hilarious. Like, every time he thought he was he was going to be scared that he was going to get, like, shit on for wanting to leave the department that he was in, everyone was like, nah, you're good. You're our pal. That was one of my favorite things, and it kind of shows the Gene Roddenberry influence on this, obviously. Uh, but just that kind of idyllic society where you don't really face down a lot of personal issues anymore. People are just accepting of it. You know, everyone was just like, yeah, sure, be true to yourself. Go for that. Expand yourself a little bit. And it was refreshing to see instead of someone berating him and then begrudgingly moving him. Right. I even think um, uh, Shaq's called him like a bear cub or something like that. Bear pack. Yeah, he bear was pack. part of the bear pack. Yeah. The bear pack, the security department. Well, he, he gave Rutherford a specific nickname. Yeah, they, uh, which... Tie was... into that where he got the name from is because he completed that that simulation has the one of the greatest Star Trek names I could ever think of for a simulation fighting the Borg and that was Smorgasbord. That, <laughs> that is was exactly amazing. what he called the the uh, the whole thing was Smorgasbord. I love me a great. good pun. It was a whole uh, setup that was supposed to teach him the feeling of defeat 
And uh, thanks to this, his uh, Vulcan, implant. Vulcan implant plants, he was able to take on the whole scenario without knowing a single thing about uh, security or combat. What's the what's the test they do in Starfleet that you're supposed to fail? Uh, Kobayashi Maru. Right. Is that, I think that was kind of what it was um, kind inspired of, by, or like kind of same teased? thing, but more security instead of command. Right. Okay. Uh, which also, as a part of that story, his whole thing with uh, trying out the command sector and enacting the Janeway Protocol. And I remember watching this with Chris when it was first releasing and having to find out what the Janeway Protocol was because it's not actually a thing. It's literally just named as such because of Captain Janeway's uh, unique strategy of just ramming straight through any problem. Yeah, there were definitely a few moments in Voyager where that was apparently the best solution. Just uh, screw it, we're just going through it. Just go for it. Screw it, we're going uh, through it. I was just watching one the other day where they were stuck inside of a uh, nebula and they had only so much like meters of clearance on the other side of the ship for the hole they blasted through and they were all talking about maybe we should wait longer, maybe we should try again and she was just, no, go for it. In. Um, Janeway Pro. Isn't isn't she the, she's the captain that basically decides when and when it's not appropriate to follow the prime directive. She basically like flips the coin every episode. Mostly that's up to circumstance because of Voyager's uh, unique situation of being so isolated so they don't really have the choice a lot of the time of not taking up the advantage to get resources or materials from a place Hmm. so i think that's what more leads into it but a lot of fans don't like it because of that yeah i i believe that's like the big uh one of the biggest issues with voyager in general that uh most fans didn't uh agree with um that and the board was really starting to get kind of overplayed at this point. And there's, I what almost a whole season that was just board driven. Yeah. At that time we had the release of uh first contact and yeah. everything else. So they probably just had all these extra Borg suits laying around and they're like, well, we paid for them. So we have to use them. That is one nice thing about lower decks is, uh, there hasn't been any Borg showing up yet. I mean, outside of the smallest Borg. Outside of the smorgasbord. Right, and the title sequence. Yeah. Well, I mean, aside from those, yes. I mean, it's, they're, they're kind of a throwaway joke. At this point, they yeah. enti- entirely are. Once again, going back to the cold open, <laughs> just because the cold open for this one just was pure Star Trek gold of a trans-dimensional being showing up, saying they're going to obliterate everybody, and she holds it hostage to get a tricorder with a purple stripe. That was honestly the best cold open this show has. I don't mean to sell every other one short, but the absurdity of the character and just how easily it's defeated. You look back at all the other shows and you go, yeah, they probably could have done that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Was, then, that a, was that a creature that's appeared before? or I think in uh, TNG they had some kind of weird light orb creature sure. that appeared. Um, I don't remember the extent. But it's been a while since I've watched TNG. There was plenty of circumstances where it was something similar to that. And you're just like, why, the, why haven't they just punched it? Yeah. Yeah. Why haven't they done something to it? They can erect force fields anywhere they want. Why not just capture the thing and be done with it? And they always try and just weasel around the situation. Grab it and put it in a capsule. That's all you got to do. Put it in a capsule. Super make it easy. I mean, you can use your hands. Might be against our regulation, but whatever. It grants wishes. <laughs> and then it, ran, then it ran into the captain and just, yeah, it was gone. Just completely fizzled out. But uh, going over to the other storyline, uh, the Boimler and Mariner storyline, uh, 
we, we get some we get some nice moments with that, you know, walking into the, the shuttle with all the gear and just finding Mariner there eating noodles in the cockpit. And just like your regular cup of noodle ramen noodles just all over the cockpit. Right. It's just a huge mess. Yeah. You can see the soups just splashed all over the console. Luckily it's a touchscreen. Yep. That's the future. Touch screens. Nothing ever goes wrong with that. Exactly. But again, uh, I will point out, it wasn't a transparent touchscreen that looks like it came from 2015. It looks like it came out of 1980. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the they're, they're sticking to the aesthetic of what Star TNT. Trek like technology is supposed to look like. Especially for the time period. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, but you get that with... Uh, then you, you get Corinne walking in, and you get the whole introduction between Mariner and Corinne. And their whole bit, and just one of the one of the best throwaway jokes that if you you don't pay attention, you're not gonna you're not gonna hear it. And it's um, I need to update you on all my sexual conquests. What all two of them? <laughs> yeah, that was a good joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally relate to that one. <laughs> <laughs> don't look at me like that. I'm not looking at you like that. <laughs> Trust me. Gross. Oh, I did have a question I wanted to ask our Star Trek experts. What is Section 31? Is that anything um, special? Oh. Because... Section 31, uh, to put it simple, is like their uh, super secret black ops. Okay. Uh, it'd be like the equivalent of um, C- uh, CIA special special group that's a subsect of the CIA that works separate from the CIA. Because uh, like Boimler... a network team? Mentions this is yeah. how they walk in the speed walking. Oh. <laughs> speed walks in, they speed walk in section thirty one, but Mariner points out she's walking the same speed at the, just normal walk. The or, animation was hilarious. I was watching wearing this. the the dress yeah. uniform yeah. air quotes around dress. <laughs> Another way to put it is it's like this: the Navy SEALs versus the actual Navy or right. the actual ground troops. They're more elite forces. They all have the budget for everything. They have all the all the tech and the gizmos. And you know if they show up, things have gotten bad. Usually. Uh, I will say this about the planet once we're talking about the power walking and everything else. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest advantages on it being animated is they aren't limited by practical effects or budget. Seeing the different mix of races on the planet right. and the scale they were able to do that on was just so gratifying, I guess, to me. Uh, you weren't just seeing like five Klingons and then a whole bunch of people right you saw no people at all and a mix of andorians and these giant rock monsters that i'm sure is his name and i just don't remember it um <laughs> i have no idea klingons it was it was great i know what a klingon is it was nice to see things that weren't human-esque as well yes um i mean that's kind of the benefit like you were saying the benefit of animated series um i think we'll probably talk about it eventually but final space there's another one where uh, they he winds up going to um, uh, kind of an alien infested area, and you just see like hundreds of different types of aliens. Um, kind of the same thing. Anyways, that's it for this episode, guys. Tune in next week when we talk about Star Trek: The Lower Decks episode three and four. Uh, that's it. Um, I really got nothing else to say. Um, this is Austin, Chris. I'm John and Joe. We're signing off. We'll see you next time. Yeah, anyways.
have a good day, I guess. This is Austin signing off. This is John. See you later. <laughs> oh, were we supposed to do all of us? Oh, <laughs> yes. Uh, this is Joseph. I can't do it now. Go ahead, Chris. Chris out. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> this is Joseph saying, have a good week. I fucking hate you guys. <laughs> Can we try that? Can we do that one again? Yeah, yeah I think, sure. I think we, right. we need to do that.